Bible, you'll turn it to the sixth chapter of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to invite you, if you're able to read the text, to read it in unison with me. And of course, as we read the text, I want you to note the three expressions or words that I have highlighted, the word know, the word believe or consider, and then the expression present. To know, to consider, to present. And we are going to approach this chapter using those three words. I remember when I was a child and um, grew up reading the King James translation. And those three words, know, reckon, and yield, were burned into my mind. There are things that God wants us to know, And he wants us to reckon them to be true. And then to yield. And in our series on sanctification, I want all of us to begin to experience our union with Christ. Knowing, reckoning, and yielding. And so read this in unison with me. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, in this manner we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life 
and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Twice in this text, he makes reference to sanctification. And that is the series that we are in together a radical pursuit in the life of a believer for holiness. And we have acknowledged that holiness means being set apart for God, dedicated to God. Another way to think of that is being at God's disposal. My life set apart for your disposal. How many of us long to be used by God in greater ways. How many of us find that we have been distracted from being used by God because of our sinful disobedience? We ought all to long to be used by God in greater ways. Some of the truths that are found in this chapter that we have been looking at, I wish that I had understood in a greater way when I was younger. I really do. And I wonder how God could have used me if I was more at his disposal. If I realized what Christ had really accomplished for me and would do through me. Hindsight is always twenty-twenty. We can't look back but we can certainly look forward. Look, looking forward to the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead of us, being able to be used by God. I think sometimes believers think that holiness is just, you know, soft music and lit candles and proper attire and singing of songs. Holiness is being at God's disposal. 
Holiness is obeying him. Holiness is being set apart for him. I hope that's what you want. That's what I want. And I need the teaching that's found in this chapter. And I, I am so thankful, and I'm going to try to express today what the Lord is teaching me from this text. When we began to look at it, we focused in the opening verses on our union with Christ. And for us to understand sanctification and the power of God to use us, we must understand that concept. I have a union with Christ. And then last week, I focused on the believer's relationship to sin. And I have to understand what happened at Calvary through the work of Christ to deal with my sin. But this week, I want to put an emphasis on resurrection. Jesus died for my sin. And God the Father, looking at the work of Christ, reckons me as righteous. Because the righteousness of Christ has been put on my account and my unrighteousness was put on him and he paid for it. God made him who knew no sin to be a sin offering for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. God reckons me righteous. We call that justification. God declares me to be righteous because of the work of Christ. And when I believe on him, I am united to him and the work that he get, did on the cross of Calvary counts for me. God's view. But there is something that God wants us as believers to do. God wants us to look at the work of Christ. The merit of Christ. Not only his death to justify us but to look at his resurrection life to sanctify us. And God wants us to reckon, as we see in this text, that what he did about my sin at Calvary is as if I had done it. And I hope that somehow I can express this to you from this text. There are a number of very um, specific figures in this chapter and flowing into chapter 7, Lord willing, as we'll see in the weeks ahead, that is used to teach our union with Christ. We looked at the figure of baptism, and we noted that in this, this chapter that, that this is really kind of a dry chapter speaking of what the Spirit of God did for us in placing us in Christ. 
but that they use the imagery and the figure of water baptism to teach us about what the Spirit of God did for us. The figure of baptism figures very much in this text. And when you stop and think about it, immersion in a couple of weeks as we have the baptismal service on Resurrection Sunday, what a fitting day. Virginia, we are going to immerse you in water. And there is no greater symbol of death than putting someone under the surface of the water. Now, I guarantee you I won't hold you there long, okay? But as far as all of us know, you have disappeared. You have been buried in death. You've been immersed. And yet, when she rises up out of that water, the immersion, immersion, is going to picture the resurrection of Christ and life. So that rite of baptism not only focuses on the death of Christ, it focuses on the resurrection of Christ. Are you with me? There is the figure of agriculture that we saw in our union with Christ. We have been planted together in the likeness of his death. There has been a union of the vine with the branches, the life of the vine given to the branches. But there are other figures that are found here, the figure of a bond slave, one who has chosen to be obedient to the master. And then there is the figure of marriage that we'll come across in chapter 7, that focuses on a woman being bound to her husband as long as he lives. But as soon as that husband dies, she's free to be what? Married to another. And so all of these images, are, figures are used by the, by the Lord in this chapter to teach us that we died to sin and we have a new relationship to Christ. And that concept of our identity with Christ in his death and in his life must be understood by believers. I, I'll be honest with you, prior to doing a little bit more work on this chapter, I'd never thought of how the word of God ties the resurrection of Christ with sanctification. I always thought of the cross work of Christ in the terms of justification. But I didn't focus on resurrection illustrating sanctification, but it does. The Lord has made unto us not only justification, but you remember that verse that says he's made unto us what? Sanctification. And I hope that you'll understand that today. Very briefly, he does want us to know certain things. Four of them. Four of them in the text. And, by the way, there are two different Greek words that are used for the word know. 
They had a word in the Greek that just meant you had a mental perception. You, you knew things. Intellectually, you knew things. But then they had a word for knowledge that means you know these things by your experience. I mean, I could tell you that if you turn on a stove, that the burner's going to be hot, right? And you can know that. You can perceive that. But I'll tell you what, you can put your finger on it, and you can know it by experience, right? In this text, the first two references to the word know come from the Greek word that means to know by experience, gnosko. And so I actually entitled this sermon today, Experience, Experience, Your Union with Christ in Sanctification. He wants us to know, number one, that we've been united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Verse 6, he wants us to know that our old man was crucified with Christ and that we were resurrected with Christ. Thirdly, he wants us to know that we are dead to sin but alive to God. And fourthly, he wants us to know that we were slaves of sin, but we have become slaves of God and righteousness. He wants us to experience that. If you are born again today, something radically happened to you when you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Something new started. You are not the same person you were before God regenerated you. You have a new name and a new life and a new hope and a new master and a new direction and a new home. That's the teaching of the word of God. So the question is, have you experienced that? And if you have not, you had better question whether or not you're in the faith. So I leave with you the first thought, and that is that God wants us to understand and experience gospel truth. The second thing that I think God wants to teach us from this text is that God wants us to believe gospel truth. And that takes us to verses 6 through 8 where you find the word believe. 
We believe. And then verse 11, you must consider yourselves. It's that word consider that is the Greek word to reckon, the same word that's used in our justification. When God looks at the work of Christ, he reckons us, he considers us as righteous as he is. And he is inviting us as believers to look at the work of Christ and to consider and reckon that what Christ did for us in relation to sin is mine to experience. When the text, and we looked at that this in great detail last week, so I don't want to rehash it. But when Jesus died, and there's a great emphasis in this chapter on the death of Christ, and I mentioned that. He, has, he had victory over sin and death. His death is mentioned in verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 8, verse 9, twice, verse 10. He died, Christ died. And then I pointed out to you last week the union that we have with his death. Verse 2. We died to sin. Verse 3, we were baptized into his death. Verse 4, we were buried with him by baptism into his death. Verse 5, we were reunited with him in death. Verse 6, we were crucified with him. Verse 8, you have died in Christ. Verse 11, consider yourselves dead to sin. Verse 13, we've been brought from death. And so this text is going to tell us that Jesus died, and it's going to tell us that we died with him in the mind of God, in the work of God. But there's something that's far deeper than this that is theological truth. God did something radically in us so that now we have the opportunity to say that we are dead to sin. We used to be in this realm of sin and death, but he put us into this realm of grace and life. And I do not have to keep saying yes to my sin. Do you believe that? You'd say, I don't know if I believe that because my life, I just find myself doing the same stuff over and over and over and over again. This is why you and I have got to reckon that what took place back there actually took place back there. And he canceled the power of sin. He died once and will never die again. And when he came back from the dead, his resurrection was God's stamp of approval that what he had done to sin was so. Do you realize that sin is a defeated foe? Yes or no? You say, not in my life. Well, will you at least give me this? Was sin a defeated foe in the life of Christ? Is death a defeated foe in the life of Christ? Yes. Something happened to sin back there and something happened to death back there. Will you believe that? Now then believe the second thing that God wants you to believe. God wants you to reckon that what happened back there to sin 
has everything to do with your relationship to sin right now in your life. Sin doesn't have dominion over you anymore. Sin does not have to be your master anymore. You're not over there in the realm of sin. You've got to understand that, my friend, that God didn't leave you justified without sanctifying you. You say, well, I just can't do it. Well, good. Good you can't do it. I'm not going to let you off the hook. You've got to understand that just as you are relying on Christ for your justification, you must be relying on Christ for your sanctification. You've got to reckon and believe and consider it to be true for you personally that he accomplished something for you back there that impacts how you live today. Oh, no, I've got to be a slave. No, you don't. You don't have to. That's what this chapter is teaching us. Because you were not only identified with him in his dying, but this text says you're identified with him in his rising from the dead. To newness of life, this text will call call us. We were united with him in his death. He is living unto God. God. God raised him from the dead. He got victory over sin and death. His resurrection is referenced in verse 4. He was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. In verse 9, he was raised from the dead and he'll never die again. Verse 9, the life that he lives, he lives to God. Does that demonstrate he has power over sin? Yes or no? Does it demonstrate that he has power over death? Yes or no? Yes, it does. Now, were you, were you united with Christ when he died on the cross? Was your sin paid for by Christ on the cross? Yes or no? Do you believe that? Did you trust him to save you? Did you trust him to justify you? Were you united with him in his resurrection? Verse 5, united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 8, for if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And verse 13, that we have been brought from death to life. And the ramifications of new life are found in the resurrection of Christ. We died to sin, and we are now alive to God in Christ. And verse 4 says, so that we might walk in newness of life by the glory of the Father. How are you going to walk in newness of life? By your self-effort? Now, I'll get back to this. You have to be involved But your ability to walk in newness of life comes from the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You were raised, he was raised by the glory of the Father. And the text says is that that same power is available to work in the lives of those who've been raised with Christ. 
Verse 11, you must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Do you believe that? Oh, I believe Jesus died for you. Do you believe that Jesus rose for you? And that that new life that he has, lived to God, is available to you too. By the power of God. Or do you think you're going to spend the rest of your days saying yes to sin every time it yells out for your obedience? If you don't comprehend what Christ did for you, you might live that way. But he's calling us to something different today. He's calling us to acknowledge that we can experience, not just intellectually know, but experience this new life in Christ. Verse 13, live as those who've been brought from death to life. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ ended the dominion of sin for his people. The penalty was paid, never to die again. The power was broken. He reversed the power of death. He died for sins once for all. He ended the dominion of sin. And he entered the life unto God. And we too can live the life that he lived to the Father. Your power to obey comes from God. And the basis of that is the work of Christ in sanctifying you as illustrated to his new life in resurrection truth. So God wants you to know that that's true. He gives it to us theologically. And then he comes back to us and he says this, I want you to believe it and I want you to consider it to be true for you. Know, reckon, and then he comes with this third point. And that is the word yield or present that's found in this, this text. See, not, not only wants us to know gospel truth, he not only wants us to believe this gospel truth, but he wants us to practice this gospel truth. And he comes in this section... And changes the verbs from indicatives, to be a little technical with you, to imperatives. He commands us. But remember, the commands follow what he said that Christ has already done for us. 
You and I are stepping out and standing on what Christ has accomplished for us. So many believers try to follow the imperative commands without ever reckoning that Christ did something for them and that there is power available for God, from God to obey and be set apart for him. But after you comprehend that, now you can go to the imperatives. And the first imperative is stop presenting. Interesting. Verse 13, do not present. Uh, the grammar uh, in this sentence implies that the believers were presenting the members of their body to sin. And he comes along and he says, stop doing that. Stop doing that. That's the first command. You see, successful obedience to these two commands, to stop doing something and then to start doing something, are possible only because of what Christ has done. I'm going to say that again. Successful obedience to these two commands to stop presenting our members to sin and start presenting our members to God are only possible because of something Christ has already done. And we are in union with him. Stop surrendering to sin. You don't have to. Do you realize that? You don't. Christ broke the dominion of sin. He broke it for you. And if you are in Christ, what he accomplished for you can be yours in practice. And you can start submitting yourself to God. You can start placing yourself at God's disposal. You can start surrendering to God and the cause of righteousness. You can start experience the newness of life that was brought to you through the resurrection of Christ. You can put God on the throne in your life and yield your life to him for his disposal. And the members of your body, your eyes and your ears and your tongue and your hands and your feet and everything about you can become instruments to accomplish God's purposes of righteousness. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to live? I'm serious. Have you tasted that ever in your life? I have from time to time, but I long to taste it more. I really do. Oh, I know the times when sin assails me. And by the way, if you think you've won one victory and it's all over, forget about it. 
Because as soon as you win that battle, there'll be another one right there standing next to it. And you'll have to face that temptation again. But you'll know that you can win the battle because the dominion was broken by Christ. And if you look away to what Christ accomplished for you, and you look away to the power of God to enable you, then you can stop yielding. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have asked the Spirit of God to help me. Spirit of the Lord, I, know, I need you. I don't know if I ever told you the story, but I will forever burned in my mind is one day, many years ago, when I was bent on sinning. And remember, you live the sin up here before you ever live it. And that is why the Word of God begs us to renew our mind. Because what you think about affects how you behave, and then ultimately what you become. That's Psalm 1. Whatever you fill your mind with, garbage in, garbage out. You know that's true. You and I don't trip into sin. We plan it. We think about it. We make provision for our flesh. And that is why the Word of God says, make no provision for your flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Sin is a powerful principle. It's out there. And it wants to dominate you. And it used to. You used to be in the realm of sin and death. It used to be your master. You could do nothing but obey but when God radically caused you to be born again and gave a new life, that old man that you were is dead. It's crucified. You are a new creation in Christ. And because you're a new creation in Christ, you don't have to listen to sin call. Oh, it'll call, and you'll hear it, but you don't have to answer it. You can cry out to God and say, Spirit of the Lord, I need you right now. Because I want to stop yielding and start being presented to God for his disposal. I'll never forget that day. I left my office. I'd already planned my sin in my office. And climbed into my car, bent on sinning. And I came to a parking lot right next to one of my favorite fast food places, McDonald's, years ago. It's not my favorite today. But I turned the ignition off in my car. And I said, Spirit of the Lord, I need you right now. What do you think happened? You think I started my car? Yeah, I started my car again. What do you think I did with that car? I turned it around, and it went right back to my office. And I thanked the Spirit of God for dealing with that call. 
from sin. That is ours. The Spirit of God is available to us because the work of Christ has accomplished for something for us in relation to sin and death. Believer, don't lean on Christ alone for your, sancti- for your justification, as glorious as that is. But lean on your Christ for your sanctification too. He was set apart for God. He abolished the dominion of sin and death. It is no more for those that are in Christ. For what he did, I'm united to. Do you understand that's what Romans 6 is teaching? You have an identity with Christ. You have a union with Christ. He died for you, but my friend, he didn't stay in the grave. He rose for you. And that was a God-given stamp that what he did with sin was certain. And there's life. And I'm united to that. And I can start experiencing, gnoscoing, knowing by my experience this truth. And I close with looking at one phrase here I don't want to leave out today. And it just really moved me. See if which, if I can remember the verse, maybe I can find it up here very. I'm looking for the phrase here um, to the teaching. Uh, let's give me just a moment to find it, my friends. Which verse? Oh, there it is. Thank you. And there was a reason why I broke the text right there so I could find that. Thank you, Anderson. Find it very quickly. Look at this. But thanks be to God. Oh, thanks be to God, worship to God, that you who were once slaves of sin, yes, you were, but you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. Now look at this last phrase, to which you were committed. I think some believers think that truth has been committed to us and that we as believers are to be the guardians of truth. That truth has been committed to us. That teaching has been committed to us. And indeed, that is true too. But that is not what this text is saying. It is saying that you and I were committed to the truth. And that this teaching that he's presenting in this chapter is something that we are to adorn. Matter of fact, this teaching, the Greek word is, is it, it, it is a typon, a typo. It's like a die is, is, is made and you come and you stamp the die. And what does it do? Whatever is on the end of that die is impressed into the metal or impressed into the clay. 
That is what this text is saying. That this teaching of I'm in union with Christ in my justification, but I'm in union with Christ in my sanctification. I've got a new life to live in obedience to God. That teaching is impressing me. And I am reflecting that teaching. I have been a teaching that I've been committed to. Do you understand what I'm trying to say there? Sometimes if you say something, you don't know if it's registered. I'm not, people pride themselves. People pride themselves that they've got the right teaching. Look at my teaching. Those people over there don't have that type of teaching. They're, they just don't have it. They just don't have it. You know, that, you know, the emphasis in the Bible is whether or not that teaching has you. You can impress people with your teaching. Can your teaching impress you? Can it have an impression on you? Can your life be shaped by this teaching. That's what he's saying. And the days are over where we as believers have to constantly, day after day after day, continue to yield ourselves to sin as it cries out. For God is calling us to say no to sin and yes to God. And then we will be able to say, Lord, here I am. Here are my eyes. Here are my ears. Here is my tongue. Here are my hands. Here are my feet. Lord, here I am. I'm at your disposal. I present myself to you. Use me. This is sanctification. I am at God's disposal. I am set apart for him. And thank God there's power for that. And it is from our God based on the work of Christ. So God, yes, to close it out, looks at Christ, his merit, his work, and he declares us, he declares us to be righteous in Christ. But then God invites us to look at the person of Christ and the work of Christ and the merit of Christ and declare to reckon to be true that I died with Christ and I was buried with Christ. But thank God I came up with Christ in new life. And the dominion of sin 
is broken in my life. May God help us to just understand where he's taken us, which is really chapter 8. Does anybody know what chapter 8 is all about? Take a guess. You know this chapter in your Bible? It's ought to be a chapter you read constantly. Well, it's a good thing we're headed that way, <laughs> okay? It's called the Pentecost of the New Testament. More references to the Spirit of God in chapter 8 than there is anywhere else in our Bible. Because the power comes from the Spirit of God. Let's pray.